the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. The king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alison. And now I'm going to ask Anthea to bring us our epistle, our second reading. The second reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to the end. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who called the circumcision a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored the boat. When they had got out of the boats, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And Abba, Father, as I open up the words that you have given us, given us for today, help your people to hear only you, your words, your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? 
I wonder if you've ever been in a situation, a place where you've heard some crushing news, maybe a personal bereavement or a family member has been given a terminal diagnosis. But whilst you've received the news, you find yourself in a context, either at work or socially, where it's inappropriate to share your news and feelings. Maybe you, you happen to be seated at a wedding or you're at a celebration of someone's success and you're just aware that to mention your own personal bad news or how you are feeling would be a dampener or even inappropriate. Well, I wonder how Jesus must have felt just before the section of the gospel we heard today. In the verses preceding Mark 6, verse 30, we hear of the gruesome death of his cousin, John the Baptist. Clearly, this must have affected him deeply, even as the first sentence says, the disciples came back and told him all that they had done when he'd sent them out two by two. They came back, I'm sure, with marvelous testimonies of healing the sick, deliverances from demonic oppression. And that was all very good. But hanging over Jesus was the knowledge of the gruesome death of his cousin, John the Baptist. So Jesus was grieving. The disciples, though elated, were clearly very tired. And he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Such, though, was the demand for their services from the sick. They had no leisure, as the translation says, no time even to eat. So they sail away for a retreat by themselves. But you know what happens. They're watched, monitored from the shores, and people rush around the shores of the lake to get ahead of them. And when Jesus and his disciples arrive at the supposed retreat place, they're confronted not just with a few souls, but a great crowd whom we later know to number at least 5,000. Yet, as Jesus went ashore, he had compassion for them. Despite his need and the disciples' need for rest, despite their need for a break to recuperate, to eat in peace, to reflect on his loss, Jesus did not get angry or cross or bitter or explode with frustration as most of us would, but put aside his own feelings of tiredness, loss, sadness and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd actually in our present climate as one commentator points out calling sheep people sheep is not a compliment we all happily say the lord is my shepherd and call ourselves sheep but calling people sheep, if you think about it, is not a compliment. Sheep are silly, full stop. They can eat themselves to death. They walk in front of cars when roaming free. And if you've ever gone into a field of sheep, they startle at the slightest thing. 
They follow a leader unthinkingly, which is a behavior most of us would not want to be charged with. Yet the truth is, many of us secretly prefer to be followers rather than leaders. It brings a certain freedom, despite the risks of putting your faith in the wrong person. When Jesus has compassion on the crowd, we're told he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And the truth is that whereas beforehand they may have been just that, now they are certain that they have found their shepherd. They're determined to follow him, even though he's been trying to evade them just before. And they're right, of course. Who else could offer healing of the impossible, raise the dead, deliver people from demonic oppression, and, as later on in that chapter we learn, feed a hungry crowd of 5,000 people? They had no other hope, unlike us today, perhaps, who may go to the doctor, who trust in medical science. No one else in their midst who could open blind eyes, who could heal lame legs, who could heal paralysis, set them free from whatever disease ailed them. And Jesus could not but react to the plight and needs of the crowd. Despite his own grief, his own tiredness, it was as if he had no choice but to respond to their weakness and vulnerability with a compassion that came out of his very guts. Some of you, I know, have seen The Chosen and continue to watch it. And there's that scene where he's coming back from ministry and he's absolutely exhausted. The disciples, they've been sitting chatting And he comes back, and it's Mary, his mother, who wipes his feet, helps him to bed, because he's absolutely exhausted. He just could not turn away whilst there was still one more person. And so Jesus taught them and healed them of all their diseases. They'd never witnessed or experienced anything like this. The goodness of God poured into their lives, as all who touched even the fringe of his cloak were healed. Well, that goodness was also seen in the life of one of the heroes of the Bible, King David, in our first reading from 2 Samuel 7. He was grateful for all that God had done for him. David had been affirmed as king over Israel, given rest from all his enemies around him. And so David was thankful to God for his goodness in his life. And what better way he thought to thank God than to build a proper house for the ark of God rather than the tent, the flimsy covering in which it rested. God appreciates the gratitude of David's heart and his desire to please him. And he reminds David through the prophet Nathan of all that he, God, has done for David. And then, and then, to show that no one can outgive God, God blesses David again. David had offered to build a house of cedar, but God says this instead, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. 
When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David offered a physical house to God. God blesses him with a counter gift of a spiritual house that will last forever. And the Lord makes David a a house of his presence in a wonderful act of generosity. And when you go back home and read Matthew chapter 1, right at the beginning of the New Testament, David becomes the ancestor of Jesus Christ through Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. The generations are counted right down through David and all the way down to Jesus But the most extraordinary revelation today is that when you offered to take Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior, he made you a house of his presence, just like David. He made you, yes, ordinary you, a house of his presence. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to our second reading, which uh, Anthea read from Ephesians 2, verse 11. And I'm going to read it this time from the Passion Translation. So don't forget, and I'm going to read sections of it, not the whole of it. So don't forget that you were not born as Jews and were uncircumcised. Circumcision itself is just a work of man's hands. You had none of the Jewish covenants and laws. You were foreigners to Israel's incredible heritage. You were without the covenants and prophetic promises promises of the Messiah, the promised hope, and without God. Yet look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, Now you've been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. Two have now become one, and we live restored to God and reconciled in the body of Christ. And now, because we are united to Christ, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple, And your lives have been built up together upon the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. This entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the Holy of Holies, his dwelling place, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. 
It's amazing, that last sentence. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the Holy of Holies, His dwelling place, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. That's extraordinary, mind-blowing. You are the Holy of Holies. And actually, when we sing that song, I enter the Holy of Holies, you are entering into the spiritual presence that has been placed within you and connects you to Jesus Christ. What can we do to thank God for such an amazing gift? David wanted to build a proper house, a house of cedar, to house the ark of of God. But what can you and I do to thank him for placing the holy of holies within us? Well, Ephesians again spells it out, and it's a bit preceding the bit we heard, read by Anthea. It's Ephesians 2, 7 to 10. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved by faith. Nothing you did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will be a- ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. If you are a house of God's presence, connected to Jesus, joined to Jesus, then I believe you, like me, are called to show compassion in the face of weakness, vulnerability, pain, and hurt, to do the things that Jesus did. Many out there are like sheep out there in the world, especially during this pandemic, looking for the shepherd Jesus. Where is Jesus to be found? They have that shout of joy like a little girl saying, Daddy, just there. They have that shout of joy when they find Jesus. But they can only find Jesus when individually you and I demonstrate Jesus, when we show his compassion to the world. Some of you have heard me speak already about Pastor Jerry Easy and NSPPD, new season of prophetic prayer declarations. It's literally a revival going on under the radar with over 100,000 people tuning in daily via YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, some of these social media things I don't even know about. I can just about cope with YouTube. But they tune in because they're hearing the wonderful works of God and the testimonies Pastor Ease's daily prayers are giving rise to. But what is extraordinary is not actually him, although I admire his faith and 
persuasion and endurance every day to be praying through the night and gathering the world to him for an hour and a half. But what is extraordinary is the faith levels of those watching who are being inspired daily to step out in faith themselves. When bad things happen, even when a friend or loved one dies, they're not prepared to say, that's that. They're not prepared to listen to the doctors who say, you can't do anything else. Such is the faith being inspired that people are saying, what God cannot do does not exist. And they're saying, not on my watch. Not on my watch. And they're pressing in for resurrection. They're pressing in for healing. They're pressing in because they have increased their faith in the God of Abraham, the God of Jesus, the God of Pastor Jerry. And it's bringing about transformation and the miracles that we are hearing daily. Is it just for Africans? No. Yes, you might find it culturally difficult to hear the accent, but it's not just for those in Africa or for the African diaspora around the world. It's for everyone. And God is using those who are used to spiritual warfare to do a new demonstration of the fact that he exists, that he's a powerful God, and that he breaks into our world. Someone asked me the other day, why is it happening in Nigeria? And I said, and it came to me, because they're versed in spiritual warfare. They're versed in spiritual warfare. And he's using them in the same way he used Toronto back in 94, and Lakeland, and Bethel, and other revivals, Yongi Cho in Korea, other revivals around the world which have sparked faith and increased people turning to God. But then you say, how do we bring that about? How do we bring that about here into St. Paul's so that it impacts not just the church, but the community, the city, the nation? Well, the first thing we need to do is develop what's been called a chronic attitude of gratitude. A chronic attitude of gratitude. It's being perpetually mindful of God's goodness and love, just like David. Thanking him daily for your blessings. And we are blessed, folk. We're in the richest 1% of the world. We've come from homes. We're not worried about shelter, meals for the rest of the day. We are blessed. Thank him daily for his blessings. Remember that times in the past he's answered your prayers. Remember when he's protected you by keeping you from accidents, hospital, other attacks of the enemy. You see, focusing on your grievances, on your disappointments, will only embitter you. Faithfully thanking God will save your sanity, inspire faith for any present crisis, and fill you with hope for the future. Secondly, we need to exercise the faith God's given to us. We need to put our faith in God and his word. The biblical meaning of faith is dependence upon Jesus for everything we need. Forgiveness, the inner transformation of our stony hearts, 
the daily renewing of the Holy Spirit, intimate friendship and love, and the unconditional acceptance, approval, and validation we yearn for, and which we can get only from him. We have all these things in Jesus Christ. Leaning upon him for them is the most liberating experience this side of heaven. When you encounter him and when you know you're trusting fully in him, it's the most liberating experience this side of heaven. We'll no longer depend upon people, upon things, upon circumstances to make us happy and content. No, it's having Jesus that will achieve that. Having him that will achieve that. So faith takes place when we look to Jesus, when we voice our requests to him, when we cast our burdens and cares upon him and give him thanks for all that he has already done. And as we believe the Bible above every other voice, it's our ultimate fact fact checker. It's our truth. And Jesus assures us his word will never fail. Jesus says God's word is truth and the truth will make us free from all the lies of the enemy. As we do that, then what is happening through that NSPPD platform will begin to fall upon us. And what better time to do it than now? To exercise the faith God has given us, putting our entire trust in him and what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. I don't know if you remember the words of the collect you said earlier, the special prayer. Generous God, you give us gifts and make them grow. Though our faith is small as mustard seed, make it grow to your glory and the flourishing of your kingdom. I'm going to ask you to stand now. If you are able to, stand. And if you want healing for yourself or for others, if you want to see God's breakthrough in yourself, in each holy of holies, because you are the holy of holies, hold out your hands. Hold out your hands and receive from him because he's the God who is faithful, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ, the God of that platform, NSPPD. And I'm going to call upon him now because he's a good, good father. And he delights to give good things to his children. So Abba, Daddy, your people need their faith to grow. Your people need miracles in their bodies and in their lives of those around them. We all need a fresh touch of you. So as you were here in that worship, some worship earlier, so come flood this place afresh, Lord, and touch those watching online. Let the power of God, which is not constrained by time and space, reach out to those holding hands out, watching online. And as Jay and the team lead us in some quiet worship, we ask, Lord, that you would just minister afresh to everyone in this place and everyone watching online. Let the power of God fall afresh now. Jesus, it's your church. 
have it afresh. Have your way, Holy Spirit. 